commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the Starlight Beacon, I'm Greg Scondack, and you're listening to Corwell News. Your Holland News Show in depth coverage of the latest stories from around the galaxy. Welcome to a special edition of Reading Rafter. This week, your host, Ben Grand Adam, reviewed The Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell. But first, Lucasfilm Games rebranded and announces a deal with Ubisoft for an all-new open-world Star Wars game. Now for your host, Ben Grant Adam, to ride the storm and light the beacon in a galaxy far, far away. Thank you. Thank you very much, Grex. Yeah. Gentlemen, listeners, it's finally happened. It just happened. All of my dreams came true on, like, a Tuesday with a random like tweet and a post and suddenly Lucasfilm Games is back and all of my video gaming dreams have come true again. I've I don't even I can't even count how many times I have just railed in monologue about how I was just like why would you just let one gaming company do this? It's you know we are all the republic we should all you know allow all of the gaming companies make their best effort. And uh, now that is happening. They've All done the it. Game it's, companies are belonging to us. Yes, we are. Is the games, and yeah. So, uh, if if you haven't seen it, um, no longer does EA have exclusive rights over the video game arm of uh, Disney and Lucasfilm. Um, Lucasfilm Games is now a thing again, and it's an overarching umbrella. And EA is still involved, and they're still making games. We assume they're making the uh, Jedi Fallen Order uh, sequel. Um, but we also have, finally, an open-world game uh, done by Ubisoft. Yep. Uh, and we've heard this rumor for a while, um, but now we find out it is true. Um, and I think it's a great fit. Gentlemen, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 blown away and and so excited and literally everything we've been saying we've wanted on this podcast. Um, I mean, to the point that it's somewhat scary, right? Because we've talked about yeah. wanting an open world game. And I think I've been very adamant about wanting like an open world game like Assassin's Creed, but in Star Wars. And who took over? But Ubisoft, who does Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed. So I'm like, yes, please. I'm all in. And. I think the mantra has been the more Star Wars games, the better, right? Like we grew up in the halcyon days of the old LucasArts games where there were a million Star Wars games. Were all of them great? No. But no. were all of them Star Wars games? Sure yes. were. <laughs> this is also a perfect fit given we all, we're all searching for that open world Star Wars game. And yeah. many of the Ubisoft games are fantastic, but as they, they, they grow sort of some of the Assassin's Creed games grow sort of lackluster as they keep trying to place it in different spots in history just to make it more inventive and make it more interesting with a new cast of characters and a new world. But nonetheless, that sort of like waypoint completionist um, sort of like uh, RPG mm-hmm. light exploration that 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 sort of uh, open world design is perfect for Star Wars in, gen- in, in in as an IP, just because we have so much to explore, and it's 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 like you can do all the storytelling in the world design, in the set dressing, in everything that's around the character, and uh, and much with like we saw in the Knights of the Old Republic, that was very successful in kind yeah. of building a world, telling a story through an open world setting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Ubisoft is a great partner. Um, I, I think it, one because I think they crank out games <laughs> like they they make like an Assassin's Creed every year, and I feel like that's what we should be getting for Star Wars. And hopefully, it, it's not just going to be Ubisoft and EA. It's going to be a lot of other uh, companies which we can talk about later. Um, so hopefully, they're going to have you know six or seven irons in the fire at any one time, and we're going to get a lot more games, which is something we've been clamoring for. Um, but I think like you take, I've been playing Valhalla, um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla recently. It's a good game. Um, it's fun. It, it, it's an evolution of Assassin's Creed in a different direction. Um, you know, some of the Assassin's Creed titles are better than others, but the bottom line is, is they can crank them out. And then when you skin them with, you know, Star Wars planets, you know, planets in the galaxy and, you know, characters and jedi and then i think that that brings it up several more notches into a game that's going to sell a bajillion copies and make star wars fans really happy they just want to be in the galaxy you know and really yes it's great if you have an elite quality game like you know um fallen order was a fantastic game um but i think even if it's even if they're all kind of similar or if they just keep building on like one game like yeah. Um, I think I think people will be very very happy with it. Ubisoft with with the kind of game Ubisoft produces, and it's like well past time. I mean, how many how long have we had open world games and not have an open world Star Wars game? It's it's a little yeah. ridiculous. Right. <sighs> yeah. Well, right? When do you guys think this game will be set? Do you think this will be uh, in the High Republic era? Do you think you'll be playing as you know post Jedi? You know, in the Outer Rim, uh, you know, serving the 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 locals and protecting you know, uh, all the, the citizens of the Republic. That's fantastic. Or, yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to dive in, um, to the high Republic today, um, on this podcast. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of room and it's a beautiful era in the galaxy. And, it, and it's great because you don't know where it's going. I think that would be awesome. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people clamoring for a Mandalorian game, um, just because they've seen it. Um, because it's like the show is a video game pretty much. It's like you go on a mission, yeah. you complete a mission, you upgrade your gear, and then you keep going. It doesn't mean it has to be the Mandalorian because obviously you, you, there would be a problem with, you wouldn't really want to play the same missions he did and you wouldn't want to get ahead of the show, you know, so, but like maybe there's some sort of parallel there that you could do, um, so that, you know, fans of the show will sort of get to have that kind of experience, but maybe through a different point of view, whether it be Sabine Wren or a new unnamed, uh, Mandalorian or something like that. Um, but I don't know. That's one thing I've heard. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I think part of the issue with that is that that is like the newest fertile ground in Star Wars is that era, right? We have so many shows yeah. coming out. I feel like knowing where you tier things in terms of like content creation. Yeah. I'm guessing like Kathleen Kennedy and, and, and Lucasfilm is just like, no, we're still figuring out what the overarching story of that era is. So right. we can't have you messing with Canon because star Wars takes Canon very seriously. So I'm guessing the higher public as Grant mentioned, I think that makes sense. I think the other reason you can do that is so Part of the issues, like I used to play, okay, get your car world news bingo chart out. Adam's going to mention uh, playing Star Wars Galaxies, the old MMO again. <laughs> You're right. But here's the thing. But part of the issue with that game is you could become a Jedi. And then suddenly towards the end of that game's life, there were like a million Jedi running around. 
in like right around between episode four and five, which makes no sense, right? Like that's just not the world. Here, right. you can have multiple characters playing Jedi. You can run into Jedi and it feels still in canon, right? There's so many Jedi running around that it makes sense to do right. it. It, is, it definitely is it going to be a multiplayer conducive game? to multiplayer, right? Well, it would, that I, would be if it was set in the High Republic era, it would be conducive to multiplayer you because it, yeah. you could join up together as different Jedi with different colored lightsabers and, you know, a total freedom to, with character creation. It, it makes total sense for that era specifically yeah. um, if you want to do, you know, lightsaber, uh, you know, Jedi multiplayer experience. If you want to do that, I feel like you'll need to do that era. Um, yeah, you would. Yeah. Also, okay. like, uh, just uh, something I've always wanted from an RPG is a sort of like master and apprentice system. I texted you guys about this with the yeah. second we heard this news was it would be so much fun to, you know, learn or train it to, as a Padawan and go through the ranks of a Jedi and, and eventually become a master, but, but also train Padawans throughout the game world, right? Like, find Jedi uh, pat, uh, learners and bring them under your wing, train them, and then, you know, you see how they interact with the world after you've taught them, you know, things like that, that might be a very interesting system to explore. So I'm just giving that to you, Ubisoft. Um, yeah. would love to see it. Yeah. I mean, if the game was like first act, you're a Padawan, second act, you're a knight, third act, you're a master. Right. But like part of that is you need to train a Padawan. It'd be really cool if there were multiple Padawans you could choose from, you know, so like every, you know, you could, you could, live a different experience it would, it would add replay by right. like the um the yeah. lord of the rings games i don't know if you played shadows of mordor but they had these kind of I like did. the the regional, yeah. bo the regional bosses and and some of the new assassin's creed games have these regional bosses yep. and they're they're sort of randomized or uh, randomly generated they're and uh, it might be fun to have like almost randomly generated padawans that that sort of you can uh with their with their kind of unique personalities unique connection to the forest which we'll be talking about later when we get to avar chris and the high republic but so fun to see how distinct and um and different each jedi is in in that era specifically because uh the clone wars gives you a lot of insight into the jedi order but it sort of sticks with anakin and obi-wan and and it, it's it's so much fun in this high republic era to really delve deep into all these different jedi and so yeah. that's i'm hoping the game's set in this era but i i could equally given where the brand is right now it's i, I would say that they're 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 pushing hard into this high republic um um part of the timeline yeah but uh but also uh, if you look at the series coming out there they are sticking quite closely to the galactic civil war and uh and thereafter with the um yeah. uh the events of star killer and uh exegol and the secret oh, yeah. trilogy but i mean the other thing to mention great you kind of mentioned this idea that you know the unique powers of the jedi i mean reading we'll get into this reading the book for this week and other things the nile like they really went all in on giving each character in the Nile their own unique, like structure, their look, their abilities, their personalities. Like that rings of a video game to me. Those 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 like bosses we're oh. talking about, Shadows and Mordor, or in that like each yeah. planet is or each area is ruled by a different Nile, and they even have the whole like. In the book, as we'll get into, they have the whole structure of the Nile power. Like you could just see yourself working your way up those the uh, mid-level marketing right. scheme that they have. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the pyramid <laughs> well, scheme that is the Nile. 
<laughs> you find three be, Nile, and then they find three, three Nile. Nile. Then, <laughs> right. It wouldn't just be, you know, an easy enemy and then an elite enemy. It would be, you know, the Niles have the, all these ranks described in the books, right? The strikes, clouds, you know, uh, yeah. the storm, storm, tempest. Like, it's 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 fascinating to, 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 to read that stuff and then see how it could translate to a game world, which it could very easily could. Yeah, I mean... That might be throwing a lot at Ubisoft. Um, Monolith Productions produced Shadows of Mordor. And actually, I wasn't thinking of that game because I haven't played it in so long. Um, but that's, I mean, that they're a group that that Lucasfilm should look at to make a game. If they could do a Shadows of Mordor style game, um, that would be amazing. Um, I think Ubisoft, if I was to guess... In in Valhalla, you can it, there is a, a little element of choose your own adventure. You can sort of, you know, sort of be break good or bad. And I, I have a feeling they obviously knew they were going to have this prod um, product with uh, Lucasfilm coming up in Star Wars. So I bet Valhalla beta tests a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if your you know your Jedi, assuming you're a Jedi, because why wouldn't you be? Um, either goes good or bad, like you could fall to the dark side, um, or, or, you know, go good. I mean, that, that would be a fun dynamic that's happened before, but, um, would again, add replay value and could be really cool. Um, if they were able to make the, the game large enough to where you could suddenly start apprenticing with, um, dark side users or light side users. Um, that's my guess, but uh, I would love a shadow of Mordor. Give, give when it, it... It may release after the the kind of um, publishing initiative for the High Republic is over, right? Like it might release around book three or after. That's the thing. Ubisoft imagine. is so. Uh, well, are you talking like after Phase Three? Because Phase Three is going to be after three Phase years Three of the High Republic, and then therefore maybe Ubisoft sets the game in a in a more interesting time during that. Yeah, uh, maybe during that conflict with the Nile. The thing is, though, and this is what I mean, like. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an Ubisoft title in the next year. And yeah, I mean, that, that may seem fast, they but do like, move quickly. They do move they, quickly. Like, and, and also there's a need for it. It's like, if they can just skin out another like generic Assassin's Creed game. Exactly. Like there would be a, a desire for it. It would be a fun play. And just to get something out there, uh, you know, their, their first offering you, would be You great. know what? Dr. Afro game could be fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. That'd be amazing. Yo, so... In this press like a, release, they like were talking. They also announced they're doing a. They uh, in the press release they announced they're doing an Indiana Jones game, and, but like I I misread it and I just heard he's like because he was being coy he's like a certain um, archaeologist or like funky archaeologist and I was like oh, are they gonna do an Afro yeah. game like uh, how yeah. and like and then I was like oh no they meant literally indiana jones is what they're gonna do yeah um which is like okay but like how much more fun would an afro game be right so fun uh did they say anything about maniac mansion i did not see maniac mansion no that was, that was maniac mansion love all right i Sorry. love that game anyway well, moving on. listen it's apparently all our dreams are coming true now so you yeah. know uh hold on to that one um yeah um what other what other um like video game companies would you love to see a star wars game come out of now that we're dreaming i mean i'll take it's kind of same more of the same but i would take rockstar <laughs> like, give me a red dead redemption <laughs> like yeah. version of because i love me i love 
uh, Assassin's Creed for all the collectibles, but like like my my favorite games of all time are literally Red Dead Redemption One and then Red Dead Redemption Two. Like I want I want to get really in the minutia of being a Jedi. Yeah. Like Yeah, I mean that's that would be hardcore. What about you, Grant? Does you do you have a favorite I mean, uh, company? After after this year and the games that came out, I mean the Ghosts of Tsushima is such a fantastic game and has such fantastic swordplay that I and it sort of reminds me of Jedi Academy and uh, the Jedi Outcast games where you could change your your sword style and I I would just love to see what Sucker Punch could do with a Star Wars game because their attention to detail in an open world environment is just a little bit more polished than Ubisoft. It just feels a little there's a little bit more finesse. It feels like a little bit more care and craftsmanship goes into their worlds and. I would love to see what Sucker Punch could do with a Star Wars, you know, IP. Yeah, the you you stole mine. Um, the fluidity with which that game plays, like it's, it's just so beautiful and so like e- like effortless. And it, but it's it's very complicated. You, you have four different sword styles. Like how fun would it be to switch between yeah. Sarisu and Ataru and like all these different right. lightsaber styles? It, it would be crazy plus you know they always like to be like oh do you want to be double bladed two-handed you know i mean to counter different nile enemies right with different you know nerve gas radiation bombs sludge like they'd have different weapons right that you'd have to counter yeah Yeah. you could definitely see like a sort of borderlands thing um i will echo something i've seen a lot online and this is actually before um cyberpunk came out but cg cd project red is an exquisite gaming company and they they definitely would make a fantastic game and there's also a lot of people just clamoring for 1313 it's just like no they're not going to let that game go right and for those of you that that haven't heard of, of 1313 it was like the last project that almost came out before um lucas sold uh lucasfilm and it was just it just got like it was built and it got rebuilt and then i got redesigned and then boba fett was a main character and then i got redesigned and then it was gone. And then like they sold the, you know, Lucas, uh, Lucas sold it to Disney and it was just sort of gone, but it was such a great idea. You know, if they did like a it, it, uncharted, like 13, yeah. 13 game, that would be super fun. What about the other As, game? That aside from Clone cool. Wars and rebels, it, it offered that first look at the, the undercity of course, yeah, right. and that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, wasn't there another game that was even after the EA sale or right before there was one that they were working on that was close to going? Like that they was have, 13, 13. was that 1313? I thought that was yeah. after that. Okay. Well, so after, I mean, there was on EA's watch, there's been two or three games that have fallen right uh, by the wayside. So, you know, those are all out there too, but, um, yeah. but the people that made 1313 are still out there. They're active in the chats and, um on reddit and they're like yeah you know we've still got all the code like we're ready to go and why not release it yeah yeah i I do truly believe that when it comes to star wars very specifically it's like you don't need the world's best game and it's like I, i know they've tried to put like great stuff out there with battlefront titles and and this but it's like just get a game out just like get a game out it's like it's not gonna break star wars you're gonna sell a bajillion copies of it and you know, Star Wars fans will buy it and they'll play it and then, you know, and then like do the next thing. If it's, you know, I, I really I want to see new um, video game production companies coming out, hungry ones, people who yeah. love Star Wars just banging out games. And it's like, well, just put them out. If they're not it, the greatest game in the world, it doesn't matter. Like people, you know, will still play them. 
Right, and every and there's three so many years, prestigious studios out yeah. there. Like, yeah, like I mean, so Sony many. Santa Monica and, and God of War. Like, yeah. if you gave them the Star Wars IP, what would that right. game be? Right, right. And then you know, EA gets EA gets their shot too. And then every three years, we get the AAA, um, you know, right. Jedi Fallen Order game, which is amazing. That's super polished and works really well. And then we get others. I had a weird thought too. Is um, I was kind of think about like what games resonate with me over my life. Yeah, and I was thinking of the game, and this is not creative at all, but the game Portal like was really creative. Yep. Sure, like uh, give Valve a game and just have you have to solve a puzzle using like force abilities right like you just have a portal game that you just have to be able to figure out like how do you solve these well, you get trapped somewhere yeah. to figure out yeah and valve had just released has just released you know half-life alex which is a you know, vr experience and it's mm. sort of the benchmark vr experience right now and i know there's the recently the, the lucasfilm released kind of a galaxy's edge game which is a vr experience obviously yeah. Um, Vader Immortal. I mean, there's there's lots of VR games, and there's like a good yeah. flow of content of VR content coming out of Lucasfilm games. But um, uh, it, yeah, Valve and and ha the success of Half Life Alex. I mean, why I, why why not tap into everybody who's who's who has a good track record? Yeah, at this get them all. Yeah. It's Star Wars. It's Star Wars, and it's meant to represent you know the the apex of technology. And why not have the best in the business at least? You know, try their hand at, at a Star Wars game and then uh, get and tell really, you know, compelling stories in that medium. Here, here. Well, uh, fantastic news all around. Um, let's uh, let's get right into uh, the High Republic. I literally can't wait. Me too. To another reading Raftar special. This week we are covering. We are actually doing our our review of Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell. Uh, so, just a quick summary of this book and where we are in the galactic history. This is about you know two hundred to three hundred years before the Phantom Menace, and uh, the the galaxy is a uh, is a strong union remains a strong union of like-minded worlds and there is opportunity all over the galaxy and you have this uh strong republic led by chancellor so who has uh is launching these outreach outreach programs one of which is an installation called starlight beacon this is a major part of the plot of this book um and it's all over the comics and slam uh, materials adam i know you've um I've been diving deep. I cheated a little the, bit. Uh, the other jumped ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the other the, the content that's out there, but um, it's it's fascinating. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a really cool. It's it's basically like the the Jedi Grand Temple on Coruscant. Also a beacon, a lighthouse, a chiming uh, a signal to all the people out in the the outer rim uh, to to guide them uh, to safety or to the Republic. Because uh, a big slogan in this book is "We are the Republic." And it's uh, it's 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 really fascinating to see a functioning political body and not second guessing the politicians for the first time in like a Star Wars book, which I found super refreshing. And uh, this book is is fascinating in that regard. And in the beginning, Charles Sully even writes, "The Force is with the galaxy." So just just to lay the the, the ground, the uh, to, to 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 just make it real for a second, uh, we know that uh, the galaxy is is calm right now. And then we get introduced to the Nile and 
What did you guys think about the Nile? Because we were waiting to talk about this for a long time. Uh, what did you guys think? It was an uh, awesome introduction, Grant. Um, that really sets the stage perfectly. Yeah. And, yeah, we've been doing preview things and guessing on this forever. Um, the Nile, I think, were totally um, outdid my expectations for, yeah. for, like, what a big bad could be. Um, so, obviously, this is spoiler-filled. Um, if you should definitely read this book, um, mm -hmm. please keep listening if you want, um, but definitely read this book. Um, and we're just, we're going to talk about everything, but the Nile evolve, um, in this book. And th I thought that alone was really, really cool. And I, I mean, I knew there was something I wouldn't know the, the known unknown. Like I knew I wouldn't know something. They can't just be like, all right, they're bad guys that wear bad right. masks and they're space pirates. Like we knew they were space pirates, right? <laughs> but what I didn't see coming was the mid-level marketing scheme, the cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like part of it. And I just thought that was a really great like use of, like <laughs> great use of mid-level marketing schemes. Like it should be like bad guys that that follow that. And uh that's, inter that's interesting you say cult because uh yeah. uh they do say family a number of times throughout the 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 book and it's Super i it just i at the end of the by the end of the book i was like this is 100 percent a cult oh it is <laughs> right that's the thing like this yeah. book yeah. that takes place a long long time ago ago right like or a long 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 time ago because yeah. you had 200 years prior to that is weirdly prescient in so many ways yeah. like like and this was it's so funny because they've been playing this book for years but like who knew when they were playing this book in 20 and that coming out in 2020, 2021, that um, a hopeful leader who believes in the strength of government <laughs> right, would be important. Lena, uh, Lena, Lena so. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Who knew that uh, people would be super obsessed with doomsday cults? <laughs> right. Like all we need now is a bunch of sea shanties in the middle of this thing. And it would be like the most <laughs> prescient book of all time. But it's weirdly like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so today in a weird way and yet yeah. works because it feels still like star wars and and i think it's going to age well too I, yeah. the, I know you you know we were drawing comparisons off air of you know the nile to certain insurrectionists and whatnot but um i really think in 10 years when we look back on this book or people are picking up this yeah. book for the first time they're not going to be like it's not going to be dated it's not it's gonna not be like, a... oh this is a 2020 text for sure no. like no one's going to think that it's really just it's a new era they yes they're borrowing from certain current matters but i think in really subtle ways um that are just, just or just this weird like sometimes things just like you know like how there's like every year there's like two movies that are exactly the same like we had two volcano movies in the same yep. year two astral two, movies in the same year two magician movies in the same year right like yeah you get those things and i feel like this is not to say that like real life in this book are the two things that happened but like <laughs> but, but like that's about accurate but, two but things accurate, happened like, this year yeah but this book kind of connects life. right these are writers who live in the current world and probably their writing was influenced but you're right ben like when someone reads this 20 years from now they're not going to think Oh, how dated! This is clearly a reference to 2020. It just is funny to read it in early 2021. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what did you, Pillaging what did you think psychopaths of in 2020? Yeah. 2021. <laughs> yeah. God. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, interesting. I um, mean, the book. I, I was so 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 excited for the High Republic, and I, I, you know, 
I don't want to overhype, but this book did exceed everything I wanted from it. Like it kind of did everything exactly I wanted. It felt like high fantasy. It felt like you're just 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 building all of this 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 mythos and lore that are going to build out from here. And and having cheated and read uh, a test of courage by Justina Ireland and the first issue of Kevin Scott's the High Republic comic and the short story Sewell did in The Insider. Like it delivers like the, like everything ties back to this book, but you can also just read those books and completely separate. Like I just to me like that, I just love that stuff. It's just like Stephen King, like everything connects. Everything is related to one another. Each book is in and of itself rewarding. And yet when you read it all, you just get this larger picture and it just works in a way that I find so rewarding. And the character like Charles Sewell is like I say I keep saying like a lot. I know, but I just I'm disappointed he hasn't written more star wars books he it's so good it's so visual you can tell he's a visual person like i could picture everything he's writing in this book it felt very cinematic and i yeah. i even judge this as a movie almost just because of i think it's incredibly yeah. well done yeah. um and, and in terms of the foreshadowing too and just the setups and the payoffs are incredible uh uh, what you get in the beginning of the the novel and and how how it pays off in the end is is fantastic. Um, yeah, and just that's... the the initi initiating Starlight Beacon and how it's and, and the the maneuver that all the Jedi pull off in the beginning all together. It's like and just how it began with with there was so much energy and it just the energy never stopped until the end. Uh, it was yeah. It was, or the it maneuver was... the Nile pull off like it is it yeah, is yeah like this movie is just this weird. Did you just call Mere, it this movie? Did I say it? yeah? Because yeah. it feels like because great. It does feel like this, a movie. This, yeah, it does. And but this it book does. is like, if you watch it as a movie, the mirroring from Act One to Act Three is fascinating. We get We're the Republic right at the beginning. We get We're the Nile right at the end. We get the Jedi giant maneuver about a third of the way into the yeah. book, and we get the Nile maneuver about a third of the way from the end of the book. Like it is this perfect mirror image of itself of watching. Yeah. Like you could just see the the arc of the Jedi and the arc of the Nile kind of crossing each other, and it's just really fascinating. Yeah, especially it was the the homestead scene was the one where I I had to stop. And like I can see this, like the one where like they send the the farming robots like on like a suicide mission against the yeah. speeder, and it was the way that it played out in words. I was like I could just see this on the big screen, and it just it makes so much sense. Um, and, and I'm so happy that Lucasfilm did it this way, where they're like, let's get our best minds or like authors minds that like can see this stuff ahead of time to put it on the page and create this world there. And then we bring in great directors and lore builders and all that stuff to sort of bring this to live action eventually. Um, it just makes sense. Like they, they created a cadre a like super mind of of all these fantastic authors that know Star Wars so well. Um, and they created this and then, I mean, obviously Sewell did a great job, but like the brainstorming around this is just great. I mean, Justina Ireland and Claudia Gray and like, just like, and, oh, I keep forgetting know. we had a Claudia Gray book soon. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin yeah. <laughs> Scott. And I mean, yeah. all, I, you know, who I'm forgetting, um, Daniel day, uh, uh, Jose Alder. Yeah. Daniel Jose Alder. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they seem like I mean, we talked about this last week. They seem like they're having so much fun um, and they just I think they did it. I think they just nailed it. They built this beautiful world. And then um, Sewell's effort here. I, I can't wait to read the other stuff. We're going to get into 
um, Justina Ireland's Test of Courage next week, and um, Kevin Scott's yep. um, did the, the comic, the Marvel the comic. Yep. Um, so we'll get into that next week, uh, but we really just want to focus on this this big novel um, right here. Which, but, as, oh as we think we so talked about last our, our week. early reactions, our our overall reactions to this book, then are, we're all pretty positive on this book. I think we all love this book. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm giving yeah. this a nine or ten out of ten. Like, I I really enjoyed this book. Yeah. I I, was, I, there was nothing I about this book that Star I was Wars like book as of yeah. yet, you know, to be released. In I, my I didn't little have book, negative thought about this. In my all. little book journal that I keep because I'm that nerd, uh, I did give this a nine out of ten. <laughs> By the way, yeah. I have yet to give a book a 10 out of 10 but it, since I've been keeping it. To be fair, I read all the Dark Tower books before I started keeping a journal. So Gunslinger could be a 10 out of 10. A Gunslinger is a 10 out of 10 in my mind if there was going to be a book. Okay. Um, I did think there were, I did. I think it would have been an interesting mirror if a if maybe a star did explode maybe in the, in the early in the beginning of this book. Yeah. In the Abdallah system, like when, you know, Avar, Chris and everyone are looking in a specific direction. Yeah. And then blindsided by uh, the extinguishing of light. And then when Starlight Beacon, uh, spoilers, when Starlight Beacon's activated at the end, which is set up pretty early in the book when Chancellor yeah. So, you know, even gives the, the call to adventure, <laughs> basically the yeah. inciting yeah. like quest for Avar, Chris and the Jedi, which is to kind of quell this marauding you know a force in the outer rim you know before the initiating of the beacon well what i'll say grant is i think you might have you might be ahead of this a little bit right because if we look at the mirroring thing which doesn't work perfectly with this but starlight beacons not activated until the very end of this book right right so i wonder if maybe the the nile's next big maneuver their big announcement because they really haven't at the end of this book, they're kind of they're the Phantom Menace, would you say, <laughs> at the end of this book? Because the Jedi don't know that they're still around. The Jedi think right. that they perhaps they've killed all of them. Then I wonder if their giant announcement doesn't come at the at the beginning of the next big book. And maybe they do do something like destroy a star at that moment to be like, yeah, you created light. We're taking light away. Oh, where well, they actually take down the beacon. Or something else, right? Well, or, that's the thing is, I feel like there is a like fall of Gondolin. Like, if you guys are Tolkien mm. fans, like, I feel like I feel like we, I feel like the beacon is gonna fall at some point. But that's, I don't know. That's just really early speculation. Based well, on how foreboding some, how foreboding this this new opposition is. This the, the denial. If Charles Sewell has a favorite literary device, it's foreshadowing. <laughs> like yeah. this book is so much foreshadowing. And one of the things that are foreshadowed throughout is um, the Starlight Beacon will be the first of many. Do you notice that that theme yeah. came up like yeah. five times? I yeah, have a feeling a wide array or a wide network that Chancellor So had planned. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I have that, a yeah, feeling that Starlight Beacon is the only one we're gonna see. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Yeah, because they're not around in the prequel era, right? As far as we know. Right. But um, yeah, that's that's the political device. Right. I mean, the politics alone. Uh, Chancellor So is awesome. She's so awesome. Like she has two giant lions that are <laughs> twins yep. that are different colors that just like hang out and just are intimidating. I mean, she's one of my favorite characters, like top 10 favorite characters in Star Wars, just like because of that. What a great political figure. But like the, this is her. I mean, her political 
desires are opposite Palpatine. She's exact like uh, like she wants. We are we all are the Republic and or we are all the Republic, right? She wants everyone together, tolerance, inclusion. She wants to bring together and like really connect the Outer Rim, which we know the Outer Rim is essentially connected, but it's always sort of still it's the boonies of the galaxy yeah. when we see it in, you know, around the Battle of Yavin. But um, yeah, that's her, her desires are to create more of these beacons. And I don't know. Yeah, it remains to be seen if we ever see another one. But it sounded like it was a Herculean task to create one. Yeah. And and she's trying to get the political resources to build more. And this so, is during a time of peace, right? It took all this right. effort to actually get this done in a time of peace, not in a time of conflict. Conflict, yeah. Um, Which is the con- The Chancellor's weird. Star Wars and the real world um, has got me really primed to not trust <laughs> leaders. And and so throughout the entire book, I kept waiting for the villain turn, right? Like I kept waiting for the finger tenting behind the scenes moment of her just going like, yeah. Well, actuality, I'm doing this for X, Y, and Z. And I was so relieved. Like, I was, like, waiting for it and waiting for it. And then when it ended and I didn't get it, I'm like, oh, thank you. So I know all the authors are still working on this. Please don't give her a villain turn. <laughs> I'm so nervous to <laughs> give her a villain turn. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, it doesn't look um, like they will. So- I mean, that seems completely out of her character. We get her POV yeah. several times. Um you know, one thing when I read this, I was thinking of like literary styles and please correct me if if I'm way off base here. But I was thinking George R.R. R. Martin and Ray Bradbury. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know. I just yeah. the, the galaxy felt very Bradbury esque where like they did um, sold did a really good job sort of describing these these r- really beautiful new landscapes. Um, is it Elfrona is the steel, the Elfrona, like mineral world? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that is yeah. a cool place. And they have steelies, horses made of steel that like make sparks oh, when they spark gallop. They, the gallop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I, That's awesome. Um, but uh yeah, again, I just could be in a game. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, should be in a game. Um yeah, we rarely say should, but I mean, give I, it to me. To go back to Chancellor So for a second or Sue, I feel like you know. Not giving her a villain turn is great because, as you mentioned, it actually paves the way for Palpatine, right? Because if, if there's this this grand leader, right, this FDR-type leader, Which right? She's very much that. Yeah. Very much. It opens the door for a Nixon in some ways, right? Well, Which is like Palpatine. The Kennedys, Nixon. and it's the, you know, yeah. the, the moon landing and being Starlight Beacon. Uh, and he's 100% going to get assassinated. Yeah. I just oh. got there. <laughs> Damn it! Um, <laughs> Rats oh, cry real hard. Um, but the thing is, is like that, right? You have this giant trust in your leaders because you've had c- good leaders. That then it makes people trusting in their yeah. leaders, right? Which opens the door. So that's actually really interesting. It's like, don't give her the uh, villain's term, and then it makes sense why people are complicit and complacent when Palpatine comes in the power, right? right. Like, like, oh, it, he's just going to be another benevol- yeah. benevolent leader. Yeah, actually, it's it's funny you're talking about New Deal stuff because I, I have a note on that. Like when they're describing Starlight Beacon, they say Starlight Beacon was open to all citizens, but built to allow them to experience the Republic in all its grand diversity from subsonic whisper fiber concerts by Shadra fan masters to Mon Calamari ocean dancing to modules demonstrating the flora and fauna of worlds from Kashyyyk to Koriba. 
this was the Republic. The exhibits constantly changed and updated to provide a truly representative experience. And my note was New Deal infrastructure meets Epcot. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely has some Epcot. Yeah. 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 I'm also a huge nerd about like Disney's Walt's original plan for Epcot. It's fascinating. But yeah, it's totally. Yeah. Look it up. It's really weird. He wanted to create literally a city that people commuted via tubes. That was his plan. Okay. They died and they made it into a theme park. Interesting. So anyway. I so initially when we started this conversation, I wanted to dive into our impressions of the Nile. But oh, yeah, that's right. When we get I mean, overall, did you like the threat? I mean, did the the villain? Did it work? Uh did they work for, for you guys as, as Star Wars fans? Yeah, the first time um, they spaced one of their own, I was in. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> that, that made them like a more, I don't know, I, I like that, I don't know, a, li- a more likable, like, bad guy. If if you knew there's a constant threat of them killing themselves, I was like, okay. And maybe because that seems so real because of what we're experiencing now in the United States. But yeah. Um, they, yeah, that, uh, I don't know, that made them likable. And then... And then, yeah, I mean, as they evolve and you see their fighting tactics and all that, I mean, they were a real threat. They did, I thought they did a good job that the first time we see them and their incursion and them like ripping, you know, ships apart, um, that was a threat. And then in the fight, um, yeah, they've got tools that make them a, a, a serious threat to be reckoned with. So I think they check all the boxes. Yeah, similar. Like they worked for me in drips and drabs, meaning that in, in a perfect way, you'd want to do this in that when they first were introduced, I was kind of like, okay, so this is your big bad. This is your opposite number to the Jedi, right? Like, I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. Cause they were small time and, at the beginning. Right. And, but then they started, like you said, killing each other. Then they threw a child out of a spaceship for no reason other than so the <laughs> Jedi down. Like that scene to me was harrowing. Like yeah. it was just like, Oh boy. And then you get to the point where they're willing to like, like that, the, to me, like the standout scene, the Death Star blowing up Alderaan scene of this, of this book, I keep saying movie, is the hyperspace that basically, so you thought you liked the Holdo maneuver. Would yeah. you like yeah. a million of this <laughs> happening at once? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah. you're right in your immediate space. Yeah. It just, Taking all of you, but like prior to that, they're like they're they're exhausting, like they're they're venting like toxic gas and 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 um like just yeah. killing themselves, killing everyone else. Like they truly got to the nihilist part towards the end of it, right? Like yeah. he has convinced anyone that don't believe in anything but the Nile, and the Nile is everything. Like, like the, the the progression of this got to the point where beginning of the book, I'm like, I don't get this. How is this? How are the Jedi afraid of this? How are they afraid so of this thing? Of like, of like, you know, like a berserker, yeah. berserker, yeah. you know, myths from like a Nor- Norse folklore where they they do drugs and go into battle. They're yeah, they're, oh right. I love the drug scenes in here. Not about it, that. Yeah, he had great drug uh, scenes in there. Um, <laughs> like just the way that like he was talking about it, it was like really visceral. And you felt it, and like he's like, "Oh, you didn't take a rounder." He's like, "She definitely didn't take a rounder." Like the, it's, I, I thought it was a really new yeah, thing for the Star Smash Wars. bulbs, right? 
Yeah, yes, right. smash balls. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And um I, I thought that was awesome. Like that what what a really cool new invention. And um I mean I guess I guess the war on drugs is over, so you can just write about that stuff and everyone understands it's fiction because it's in a space pirate ship, but um yeah, it was fascinating. You 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 bring up the Holdo maneuver, uh, Adam, because uh, when especially when the, later in the book when the ships are leaping past shields <laughs> into other ships, uh, yeah, and things like that. Um, uh, but that's so you know the Nile. I think were incredible, and the development, like we said, they're they're small time in the beginning, and they kind of they break bad and break more and more chaotic uh, over the, the the course of the book. But um, the initial, the, the real threat in the beginning is, is the, the things coming out of hyperspace, the, the, uh, the emergences yeah, and yeah. Uh, those fragments yeah. from the legacy yeah. run. So let's go back chronologically now and let's jump to the disaster because that, that is what threatens the galaxy in the beginning here yeah. uh, of this book. So, so from there, what did you guys think? And the payoff of that disaster and the emergences and those scenes with the Jedi after and the response. Did you guys like those, those action beats? Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I loved how little I knew about it yep. because I was like, well, what, you know, why did this happen? You know, we, we know they saw something and it took them, you know, two acts to really tell you what, what it was that, um, Hedra, um, I, I can't remember the captain's name now. Um, like why she had to try to steer out of the way and like what led to the, the destruction of the ship. But it was just like, there's just an emergency and we have to deal with it. And I was really worried, like thinking like, they're not going to tell us, you know, like I didn't know if we were going to get it in that book. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought it was great. It was a great way to introduce all the, the Jedi and, um, and, you know, and it was like lives were lost. They're like, yeah, we did this heroic moment here on this in the Hetzel system. But like the Abdila system, like, oops, you lost two billion. Oops. People. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just. Yeah. I, yeah. It was it was something wholly new and unique in Star Wars. Right. So it wasn't just another Death Star, but bigger yeah. this time. Right. Like it was something completely different. And it really makes you think about like so much about this book is the hyperspace. And I've taken hyperspace for granted in all the movies in a way that I don't think I ever will. Like what now I'm going to be anxious watching, like literally watching the first star Wars movie, episode four. And they're all just like hanging around in the back as the ships flying through hyperspace. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what's interesting is after the last Jedi, I think a lot of fans were wondering why more starships don't just, you know, uh, go into hyperspace or go light speed into another ship, you know, because well, they don't and, uh, die. And then and now, also, yeah, now right. in this book, it seems like Martian Rowe is playing like macro chess and can just move ships, yeah, around a galaxy, well, light has, speed into other other things. Because he has a special ability, right? Like that's what I like <laughs> He's about like it a too. fan who got the power, after right? Ask. He kidnapped and and is using one of those pods from uh, from. Minority Report and keeping a, a Lor Santeca <laughs> relative in, in there. Wait, and I wanted to give a shout out to Adam real quick because when we predicted our sequel trilogy, oh, our sequel, yeah. sequel trilogy, we got to do this. Uh, Adam, Adam brought forth a story wherein Thrawn was basically harnessing Ezra as a sort of hyperspace navigator on his bridge to navigate himself back to uh, the galaxy, our you know our galaxy that we know. 
and uh and 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 Ezra was in a, was in a bad place. He was basically hard. He was basically yeah. like you know trapped, harnessed in a pod of some kind. Yeah, he was um, very much more and, a Santeca. Yeah. And I saw. And then in this story, I it was fascinating that we we sort of got that in this story with yeah. Mar, Mari Sant San, yeah. Santeca. Right, and if we can pile on here a little bit, I mean, Adam also guessed that there would a be corrupted uh, hyperspace, which they talked about. They're like, is is hyperspace sick? That's something. Adam said, I even was going to try and dig back and try and get your actual quote on that. But um, that seems like really just bragging. And that's not what we're about here in core world news. Um, nope. <laughs> nope. But if I can brag more. Um, yeah. Then also, yeah, you I think you had mentioned like if there was they created an alternate hyperspace and that's essentially what the paths are. Uh, so bravo adam good good call what, sure what are the paths described as like, uh, I, I also call that they would heal lightsabers but moving on not that i'm keeping score yeah <laughs> heal sith uh, sith kyber crystals but moving on yeah oh yeah that you did that as well i mean i oh, yeah, that true. may have been precedented in the um ahsoka novel because right. that's how she got it but Yes, ah, it in roads behind the fabric of space that's what the paths are the paths yeah. are described yeah the path I like that idea, though, because, again, okay, I'm like, I like the idea because I came up with it. No, because I was not thinking to this level like my like, yes, thank you, guys. That's wonderful. I I got some of this, but like I'm like like three levels and Sewell's like 10 levels above that. Right. Like I just had like the inkling and he took it to a level I couldn't even think of. But I like this idea that he is a way like like that, that, that the Republic has been sitting there sitting pretty with hyperspace, which works fine. It gets the job done. And then there's this person who just knows how to, like, get anywhere at any time. Like, it's just fascinating, right? This thing that we've taken for granted, he can just cheat and just yeah. use to his own is, means. Is, so is, is is it Mora or Mirai? Mora? It's Mary? Mari? Mar Mira? Mara? Mira? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm embarrassed I don't know this. But um, we'll just call her um, the Duchess Santeca. Um, what... Do you think she's force sensitive? Like, how is she doing this stuff that it's taking Kevin Tar, you know, 10,000 like navigator droids tied to Daisy Chain together? To I just think I love it. Is it is it Mara, Maya, Mir, Mora? Oh, yeah. But but Kevin, we got a Kevin there. Yeah. Um, Kevin Tar. Well, I've I have a good friend okay. named Alex. Yeah, Tarr. Man, I just read this. Kevin. Um, so I I don't know, but I assume she is force sensitive because I'm going to jump ahead to something we're going to talk about next week, but in another book in the series, they do talk about uh, wayfinders um, oh, okay. as Jedi being wayfinders. Right. And we see this in the, in the, in the, um, in uh, the Chiss stuff, right. With um, Timothy's on books. Like we do know that Jedi are doing it. So I assume that she's force sensitive and she's been using that ability she was oh, prior right. to kidnapped, using it for her family's wealth or gain. Like right. I think what we're going to find out the is Skywalker the in the chiss sense of the word. Exactly that the Santecas aren't these like they don't just have a uh, ability to like they're not like just super smart and able to figure out the math. They've just been using their family's force abilities to, you know, way like pathfind and right. use that. And it, we assume, I mean, if, if you don't know, obviously, Lore Santeca is the person that Luke entrusts with the map to his secret hiding place um, in the sequel trilogy. 
Um, and we also know that Laura Santeca has been was working actively with Luke during his Jedi Academy era uh, yeah. when he was leading a new. So it's like so that means that like this that's the period that I'm most excited about is like what Luke was doing post Return of the Jedi. We obviously know he was training Grogu, but after that we you know and we know he was on a vision quest and we know he started a, a school. But this stuff with uh, Lor Santeca that he was doing, like, does that mean he was studying hyperspace? Was he looking for anomalies? Like, what was he, you know, now we know the Santecas have a family tradition of understanding um, hyperspace on right. a, a different plane that everyone else did, um, which is a fascinating little bit of information. So, And it is interesting, right? So if like they, if there is like, if the force flows through the Santeca family, right? Possibly. I mean, this is all speculation. This is nothing from the book. Um, it would make sense because Lor Santeca is is part of the Church of the Force, right? Or is that what they refer to it as? Yeah, what? I really thought they were going to do, you know, feature the Church of the Force in a much bigger way in the sequel trilogy, and they never did. And no, they never. They had no is. religion. He, in he this is at a all. part of the. He is a part of the Which, Church of the Force. Think about this: if your family had this history, and for some reason that was lost over time, or you're one of the members of your family who doesn't have this force sensitivity, right. it makes sense that you suddenly become part of this, obsessed with this, the Force and what it means. Yeah, Grant, you 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 posited the question to us about the first um, act of this um, story. What did you think overall? Did it did it work? Was did it check all the boxes for you? Right. I, I, I don't loved, even know what I'm saying, but you know, what I mean, I, did you? I I absolutely loved the first uh, the first act of this book, um, yeah, and the, uh, and the disaster and the payoff that uh, we found out it was multiple fragments, and then uh, you know we even have the the scene where, where Buriyaga recognizes yeah. that the fragments have living people aboard, and it's it just there's just a pit in your stomach, and you're just you're reading, and you're just you're. You don't know what the Jedi can do because it's moving. They're moving so fast, and it's 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 harrowing in the beginning, and it's 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 uh it's it's heart heart pounding. And I really loved uh, the action, and just I love when Avar Chris reached out to all mm. the Jedi. That first scene, yeah, I thought with the prose uh, Charles was writing, I thought was brilliant. Um, the description, I thought it was some of the some of the most interesting and introspective sort of Jedi. Um, descriptions of, of Jedi reaching out with the Force that I've that I've, I've ever read in a Star Wars novel. And that's kind of why this has leaped to like the top of my favorites uh, in terms of just descriptions of of Jedi and uh, their connections to the Force, and uh, and those those moments are especially powerful. And she does that throughout. And it it just begs the question: Is this is this battle meditation we're seeing? Is this kind of a reinvention yeah. of battle yeah. meditation? Yeah, I think so. And. She uses her lightsaber as a musical instrument to tune her force sensitivity to others. Like oh. it's, it, it's like the force. There's a, there's a lot in this, and actually in Justina Ireland's book that I'll talk about next week too, where they they take some leaps with the force, things we haven't seen before, but they make sense. Like nothing I read in this book went like, wait, how can they do that? Right? Like it makes sense that when you when you're at like the golden age of Jedi, that they would have this. They would be the Renaissance, right? People experimenting with their powers and figuring out new ways to connect with the Force and each other. And I like how this talked about each character having a different view or connection with the Force. Like 
the reason why uh, Briaga Agaberry was able to figure that out is because he feels emotions, right? His his force connection is through feeling the emotions of others. Yeah. And like that it was great. Like, so that's just makes so much sense. Which is, you know, ironic because he has so much trouble communicating with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that might be my favorite part of this era yeah. is is the the fact that the force is literally limitless and everything we've seen here to, you know, so far is just scratching the paint off the battle cruiser here. You know, like they, there, there's so much more to the force than um, we've seen so far. And I love that they're opening it up and really being like, Oh no, you can do a lot of things. Like you can make it rain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, with the force and, and, and how we started and in the prologue, uh, Sewell writes, the force is with the galaxy and you yeah. feel it. You feel like it's in all of these Jedi and their own, you, we have their own unique lens on the force and their own powers. And, uh, and you love exploring each Jedi because they offer, you know, a, a different perspective, uh, on the force and, and the Jedi order and all of that stuff. And it's, it's fascinating to jump across all these different stories, all these different Jedi. Um, was there a specific character right off the bat that you just, you, you loved? Was there one character you kind of gravitated, gravitated toward, towards Jedi or not? Uh, there were some fantastic pilots and admirals. I mean, I, honestly, it, it seems so like low hanging fruit, but like Loden great storm. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, just like yeah, he, yeah. he's on a different plane. Like he's, total super jedi hero and maybe too familiar to the like you know the the heroes we know from the prequels and like but loden great storm is just like i don't know i'll figure it out like the force you know i'll trust in the force and the force will will figure it out and he's so powerful and does i mean obviously avar chris is amazing i'm a musician like i totally get she hears the notes and that like that's how you know she thinks of the world and resonances and and you know consonant and dissonant tones and all that and Elzar man is the man, dude. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, Elzar man is yeah. standout for, for me right away. And then uh Avar Chris, obviously. Uh, fantastic yeah. character. Uh Agaberry, uh, or Buriaga. Yeah. Agaberry. My cousin uh, Buriaga Agaberry. Wow. Fantastic <laughs> character. I relate to that character. Um, yeah. And then my some my my some of my favorite characters come later in the book. We'll get there. But um uh, Adam, were there any characters right off the bat that you're just obsessed with? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. It's hard to tell. Like, I really, it's funny, Ben, that you mentioned Loden Greystar or Greystorm. Great Storm, which I don't know how you could possibly forget the net, that name because, right. boy, does that. <laughs> that's, that's quite a name. Is that, is that relevant? Quite a name. Um, but Bell uh, Zenifar, which is yeah, his, his Padawan. I really like that Padawan. I think I like both of them together, but I like that Padawan's journey. Yeah. And it's so simple about just being able, can you land? Like, that's his entire <laughs> yeah. thing. But it totally tells that story. Um, Stellan Geos is is also, Geos is 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 a standout for me, too. Just a super fun character. And, and you know, his relationship with the Force, I, I, I enjoyed. So um, it's, it's really hard for me to pick out just one. I mean, uh, talk about low-hanging fruit. You know, Ben, you already mentioned, but Avar Chris is just yeah, amazing. Like, I don't want to just say that, but amazing. Like, to be honest, like, come on. Like, it's cool Probably character. the coolest character ever is the I've, I've ever read about in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah I, I think in the hallways at work, 
um grant you mentioned her as being like arthurian and she's she definitely has some like king arthur energy and I, and i think um like el el's our man's kind of her, her lance a lot a little bit um yeah. <laughs> pun intended yeah. but um yeah i don't know they um <laughs> Yeah, they, I don't know. I, I really got a lot of Arthurian sort of vibes off her. Like she, everything goes through Avar. Yeah. Like she, she, she runs Jedi, and she, you know, maintains for everyone. And she's a fantastic character. I mean, here's the here's the thing, and and maybe this is why it's such a great book. Is like it's so hard for me to pick a favorite character because maybe if we like got really granular with it, and like my like we get like my favorite Force user is probably Elzar Man. Because I like the fact that he doesn't like to use the force the same way twice. Like I like right. that's that to me that's like he's like, a I scientist in a way, yeah. right? Like and Ben, it makes sense. It makes sense why I like Elzar Man as a, as a social scientist. It makes sense why Avar Chris, you really like that as 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 a force user for you, right? But like, so it's so funny. Like that's such a great book where I'm just like I can't pick a favorite character, but if we broke it down to like favorite subsect of character, I could probably pick some out, but. Yeah, They're so good. I mean, Mikkel Sumani, like, I, I definitely want to learn more about uh, him. Yeah. And uh, Porter Engel. Porter yeah. Engel. No, that, that, yeah, that's my Is that your guy? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Oh, man. Porter Engel, favorite character in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Dora Molly is a very cool character. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, I also liked, um, just the council dialogue. The yeah. uh, uh, yep. Jarl Poof was fantastic. <laughs> there's some like, there's um, some solid Jarl Poof uh, uh, quotes. Yeah, like, I think he brings up the. I think Jarl Poof brings up the Great Sith War or something at one point, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, we're going there." Yeah. Uh, was it Jorah Mali that said, uh, "Does the action I'm about to take bring more light to the galaxy?" Like that was a question she asks herself. Before she does anything, yeah, she was she was being she was basically going to like lead Starlight Beacon, and I think she's even leading on the the Atraxia, which is this, which also melted my mind. Uh, Charles Sewell basically Atraxia. created this, yeah, this 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 ship that's basically like a, a flying Jedi temple or something. It's like a yeah yeah flying Jedi cruiser, and um, it's called the Atraxia. And I think Jorah Mali's on that, and then she is I think chosen to lead a Starlight Beacon and kind of. Yeah, like guide the, the the justice program over yeah, there. She was right? stepping down from the Jedi Council. She was giving up her. Right. Uh, yeah, and she's also the one that heals the uh, crystals, the Sith crystals. Yeah. Oh yeah, she has white uh, lightsabers. Yeah, yeah. Very very cool. Uh, Tegruda, uh, Tegruda, uh, Jedi Master. Oh yeah, she's Tegruda. Yeah. Should we move on to a uh, second act here? I mean, this could get into, this is getting deep into Porter Engel territory. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, you know, the first, the disaster has happened at this point. And, um, and then, and so now we starting to see our heroes uh, break off into factions and we're seeing uh, different storylines take shape in different parts of the galaxy or the outer rim, really. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got, you know, Bells at Afar and Loden Great Storm out on Elfrona. Um, we've got some Nile action uh, near Iridu, which is uh, Moff Tarkin's home planet, incidentally. Um, we've, you know, Avar Chris and um, that whole team are trying to, you know, figure it out, working with Kevin 
Tar on uh, it was Hetzel, right? They they stayed on Hetzel to sort of figure out what's yeah. going on, um, trying to figure out the next step uh, with the, the Santacas. Um, yeah, uh, Avar Chris and which, brought, which who who were on Naboo, I believe. Yeah, they did a, yeah. There was a new yeah. Naboo stopover, and they were on a in the Lake Country. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if they were in the same property that was owned by um, by uh, Naboo the, royalty. The Amadalias. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't actually owned by the Amadalas. I think it was owned by the the <laughs> monarchy there. Yes, you're correct. Sorry. Um, I love sure. that you're A, you're right, and B, that you just corrected me on that. That's amazing. Sorry. That's, no, no, that's no, no, what no. I'm here for, bro. Right. I mean, Ben, we, we are hosting a Star Wars podcast. You should totally do that. But that made me so happy where I'm like, yep, <laughs> you're 100%. And you said it, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I should have known, I should have known whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're Sorry. here to nerd, so let's nerd as hard as we can, okay? So the tracking stupid. emergence How I think it was and, owned by the uh, stupid, 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 stupid. So stupid. <laughs> No, love yourself. No negative self-talk here. That's not yeah. what we're about. Adam. But we also we also get introduced. We also should we, we we talked about our initial reactions to the the Nile. Do we now want to talk about? We, we we're introduced to three of the the kind of tempest runners, mm. the the mm. the leaders of the Nile, as well as the kind of the eye of the Nile, the keeper of the paths, Martian Row. Martian Row. Do we want, do we want to just like tap into that and and talk about those characters? Yeah, sure. So we got Martian Rowe, who wasn't really very formidable. He was like a tool of the Nile, really, though, even though he's kind he of servile himself. to start. Right? In yeah. every sense, the word term. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Um, but they couldn't do. He has two votes in the um, democracy that's very much not nihilistic at all, which I was like, why is this a Nile if there's a democracy? Because they sold because it's, that's because that is the truest thing. Not it's impossible to actually have true nihilism because you can't have any organization if you have nihilism and yet right. you still have groups, right? Like it, it it's an impossibility. And that's right. what I loved about this, that they sold the myth of nihilism to everyone below them, and yet right. they were actually forming a group. Like it's it's brilliant, right? It's it's yeah. exactly what what it really is. Sorry. It's an ethos. There is yeah. an ethos there, uh, which yeah. nihilism isn't. Say what you will about the tenets yeah. of national socialism. At least it's an ethos. <laughs> um, sorry, you're going to get a lot of big Lebowski quotes. It makes me chuckle every time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, the, so Marcian Rowe, and then we've got uh, Pan. Oh, man, and I don't have his. his Pan uh, Ace Ada. 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 Yeah. Yes. Ada. Uh, and he's that giant. What's What's the name of his species? Uh, a Dewooten. Dewooten. Yes. Yeah. So this is the species that has like the horns on the chin. You see them in um, Maz Kanata's castle in um, The Force Awakens. He's yeah. essentially sitting on a couch, but he is a couch. And um, our, you know, uh, First Order spy is lounging with him. They're giant and imposing. And um, yeah, he makes a good makes for a good baddie. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, Lorna D. A bulky, spiky cruiser called the Elegencia, which I thought you would like, Ben. Ooh, yes, yeah. I do like. I know Elegencia. you. I know you want the um, like the cross sections for. Oh my Republic. gosh! The, yeah, I was trying to put myself in there because he's got style. Like he's in there in <laughs> turquoise leather. Like he's skin tight, out of sight. Like he's the prince of the Nile. 
And by Wait, Prince, can we talk I mean about the Nile? Listen to rec punk. Okay, it's, yeah, uh, it's basically music uh, composed on instruments, played on instruments that are uh, comprised of salvaged scrap from yes. crashed starships. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and the sounds <laughs> of starships crashing. Yes, it's yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I love it. That also might be a hat on a hat, but it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> I mean that brings me to Casa of uh, Miliko, Miliko, whatever the yes, the, yeah. like basically he's a weak way, right? A weak way, yep. He's weak way, yeah, yeah. Weak way. His ship like is described as a heads. trashy nightclub. Yeah, yeah. You mean you mean his starship, the steady wing? Um, so here's the thing: he may be the chump of this entire book, but I love this character because. I feel like I've met this person in life a lot of times. <laughs> Were they like, wearing a matching tracksuit? Yeah, yeah, they they might have been right. Like like this idea of just <laughs> just so think they're think they're ahead of everything. Wondering just... sociopath. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they have it all figured out. But like there's scenes... they've, they've always got a back door that they can slip out of. They're exactly. like, well, you know what? Yeah. But like like the scene we talked about earlier, where like all of his like crew members are on drugs and some aren't. And this leads to a giant mistake, like a giant blunder. Yeah. He's such like an he didn't idiot. do enough drugs. And that's why you made a mistake. Right. <laughs> exactly. And like the fact that he forgets this, uh, the wreck, the wreck music's playing while he's talking to people. Like yeah. that's remember to t- like, it's just such a great characterization. Yeah. He's fantastic. Are we allowed to we talk get... about wet bub? <laughs> oh, wet bub. Yes. Let's please. Let's bub. talk about wet bub. <laughs> all right, so I'm first of so all, when, when Webbub was fully described, when you're given the backstory, uh, it's haunting. And I think I have like the entire paragraph highlighted. <laughs> do, you have, do you want to? Do you want to? No, I can't find it because unfortunately, I highlighted like I <laughs> it's think haunting. I think it's basically. Thing. I think they just to say when he he's he was his nickname was given to him because he would oftentimes oh. return from missions covered, covered in, in blood. blood. Like That's right. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a gungan. All right, a so this is Jar Jar Binks's species. Yeah, let's not bury That's the lead. Wet bub. Yeah, let's not bury the lead here. Wet bub is a gungan, and I like so desperately wanted another gungan somewhere in space, and here he is and piloting a you know just you know a tempest ship for the Nile. Yes, so let me read. This is as close as we're ever going to get to Darth Jar Jar, by the way, uh, super fans. I found it. Everything you said is absolutely right, but I want to read the the writing because it's worth it. So sometimes people figured Wet Bub was called that because he was a Gungan, but that wasn't the only reason. Used to be when he'd go out on raids, he'd end up covered in blood head to toe, like soaked. So I love the fact that, like, like, Charles Sewell literally like this is not a quote this is this is the third person written by charles sewell wrote the sentence like comma soaked like that's the <laughs> sentence, like soaked that's amazing because he doesn't do that a lot in this book it's very you know yeah. radically correct and written but he decided at this point it had to be like the emphasis was like like soaked <laughs> oh what up He's good. fantastic. Um, and then, of course, great the... names in, in Casso's crew, you know, Delix and, and Graven are the other. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great names throughout. Uh, throughout. Yeah. Uh, except for Kevin, maybe Kevin Tarr. He's a little. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we got the Lorna D, 
Um, yeah. Also not a very Star Warsy name, but it's great. And with her ship, the Lorna D. Um, <laughs> yeah, love she's that. She's a Twi'lek. Uh, yeah. We know that. Um, and yeah, she's uh, yeah, and they all, so they all have their own personalities, but she's more secretive, low profile. Her ship, um, I thought was really cool. Where it's like she compromised on not having as much offensive capability to keep herself more uh, cloaked. She has like a cloaking mechanism and all these sort of shields. Yeah. So she can just sneak up on people and kill them before they even know she's there. Um, that was a cool dynamic that they created. I have a feeling. I mean, we already know one out of the three Tempest runners don't make it through this book alive. Right. But I have a feeling like Lorna D is in this for the long haul. I have a feeling like she's she's a survivor. She's a survivor. She's savvy. Um we, she's also the only one we we've actually seen. I think Ben, you shared, or Grant, did you share? Someone Grant shared. Did. Yeah, Grant, you shared a picture. And when you go to Wikipedia, she's the only one of the Tempest Runners that actually has been illustrated in something, so you can actually see what she looks like with yeah. mask on. Which is an interesting subplot because I'm looking behind um, Adam right now. He has that infographic that we talked about for the past two weeks, and. Um, there's some characters in the Jedi that are noticeably do not have pictures. And some of those characters didn't survive through the first book. If they don't have pictures and they don't have lightsaber colors. Odds yeah. are they're not going to make it very long. Yeah. Um, yeah. People die in this too, which is also very exciting. It's like, you don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. I, like that's a skip ahead, but the loading great storm stuff was like like there was so much heavy foreshadowing and we'll get to this in, in act three, I guess, but like, I'll, I'll see you later. You'll, I'll be there when you, I'm like, no, you won't. No. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I had no idea whether he was going to die or something else was going to happen. I was, so I was really waiting for an, I have a bad feeling about this. Oh but yeah. Good point. In the high Republic, no one has a bad feeling, I guess. No. The force is with them all. Um, but yeah, I'm waiting for that. That line's got to, when it comes in, it's going to be used with gravity, I think. So I was really thinking about this. They're they're in the Renaissance, right? Like, this is the Renaissance of the Jedi and the Republic. And, like, so this is why, to kind of build off of what I was talking about earlier and what we were talking about earlier about the Jedi being able to experiment and investigate their connection with the Force, it makes sense. Like, think about art, right? Art really made leaps forward in the Western world during the Renaissance. And this was a period where there was peace and people had time. Like right? yeah. people weren't surviving. So they had free time to think about how to create art. And you think about the 1800s in the Western world. Again, I'm very Western focused because I live in the Western world. So I apologize. All my examples are going to be Western, but that's Here my experience. Yeah. Uh, blame the United States educational system. But anyway, so in the Western world, 1800s, you get another renaissance in terms of the kind of the Enlightenment where there was industrialization, which meant there were people who could do free time. And that's when you get all these early philosophical people who created actually a lot of things that I study, which are the social sciences, because you have this free time. Right. So it makes sense that in this book, you have these various people experimenting with their connection to the force because they're not out negotiating trade routes and and getting these petty squabbles they have time to just sit around and read and experiment and i just love that and it makes so much sense in this world that this is where we are yeah i have another i have another big picture question for you guys um the balance of the force after yeah. reading this book how do you 
what does the balance, the force being in balance mean? Because as far as we know, the forces with the galaxy, the force is in balance right now. But we have a bajillion Jedi and no Sith that we've seen. What does balance mean? Oh, are we back to this again? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, it's the question that'll never be answered. So, you know, I don't what we think can talk about it. the force is in balance right now. I think it's one of two things. Either the force is not balanced as the Jedi think it is, or it is balanced and they don't realize that it is. <laughs> Or it's not for the reason or, why. They... Or balance is in flux, and if you understand that, that's that you have more power in, in knowing yeah. that everything's a choice. Every every action in your life is a choice, and you actively <laughs> are good and evil at every moment. I don't want to keep the death. calling out the book we're gonna talk about next week, but Justina Ireland gets into that a little bit. Um, okay, so well, so. Yeah. You can't well, George talk said anymore. it. He said it in an interview. It's it's actually a pretty powerful interview. Yeah, I part uh, of George thinks... did. George Lucas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, did Joseph he say? Campbell, I think, or um, or Bill Moyers. Uh, he he. I think he says, uh, you know, being is a hero is, is being a hero doesn't mean you need, you don't need high adventure to be a hero. You can, it's just a choice that you can make. Yeah. You know, at, at any moment of the day, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's an act of choice. I... So, I guess this still this still counts because I'm pretty sure the council meeting happened in the second act. But actually, no, it happened in the third. So let's talk about the third act. Let's start with the third. <laughs> um, the you know they're they're talking about whether they should take action against Nile. So they've they've discovered it is the Nile that did this. Um, that Mora. Um, well, they don't know about Santeca, but they know that like they they're the ones that are disrupting the the hyperspace lanes and um, and you know have had these actions. So they're like, do we, you know, obviously Chancellor So is like we we need to get rid of them. I'm not going to stand for this. Um, and the, the Jedi are discussing, and that but finally we get the conversation that I feel like was missing from. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, like the, the conversation they should have had there, but wasn't even on their minds, or even in Attack of the Clones. Right. Are the know? are the Jedi a military force? Right, and they're not, and they're yeah, yeah. and they're, most people. I mean, it was fifty fifty, and and you know, it was changed by um, they once Jorah were Mali. in the Sith War, in the Great Sith War, the Jedi yeah. were a military force right. and needed to be because there was a great opposition of saber wielding, force wielding you know, um, marauders or yeah. an armada that are making people's life worse. And this is, that's why I love the simplicity of Jorah Malley's comment, which is just like, will our action bring light to the galaxy? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, if we take out these people that are indiscriminately killing themselves and other people, then yes. Yes. Um, but it is, it is a slippery slope and a moral slope. I, to answer my own question, I, I think, I think when the, force is with the galaxy that's when there is balance i think you know when the force wielders are not being power hungry and they're just sort of helping people and they're assisting in you know certain conflicts and bringing peace actively um that's balance you know i think the light side is balance honestly and then it's not until the dark side you know gets weighted by um, Palpatine and 
that like his actions tilted it out of balance when the dark side grows so strong that it um it, it disrupts the whole nature of the force and i know that goes against the freddie prince jr description where it's just like one for one heaven for fend yeah, yeah. <laughs> um which i i believe in and he's i mean yeah. and the george i mean it's he's just describing george lucas and dave filoni's stories um, where it's sort of this one for one balance of like, there's only there's dark side users and, and foresight uh, light side users. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think yeah. balance is when the, the dark side is at bay and they do not have gross control over the galaxy. So I like it. Here comes the pessimist. <laughs> that's why we're... there's there's a lot of insidious things happening under the surface in this book and in other things. Um, there's a lot of the ends justify the means discussion that occurs in this, in this book, which I find fascinating where they're like, are you going to kill them? No, but if they force us to, we will type of yeah. conversations. Right. So I think there's, there's something between this Jedi council that we get, which is, they're willing to, as much as they're not admitting it, they're willing to dabble in some possible dark side stuff, or at least some some aggressive stuff that, like, they're not quite to the point of like attachments are forbidden. Attachments are okay to a certain extent, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we get to the Jedi that we see in the prequel trilogy, where they're militant, no attachments. Yeah. You cannot love your mother anymore. You cannot have any attachments to this girl from Naboo. Yeah. So part of me wonders if that, if that movement towards this, let me just finish, Grant. This movement towards strict this, doctrine. This doctrine opens up the door for the Sith because that opens up like we are so good. We are so light. We are so stringent that the dark side forces go somewhere, right? If that's balanced, does it start drifting over to people like Palpatine and the rule of two? Well, yeah. it's fascinating because I feel like our purest incarnation of balance may be Avar Chris and her powers, her, her connection to the force and how she sees it as a song. And there's a, you know, everything's a symphony and there's, yeah. there's, um, and and there's balance is disrupted when there's discord, right? Or death mm. or loss of life throughout this book. There's loss of life. And um, I think uh, it, to that extent, I think there, there's there's aspects of balance there. And then what's interesting is, Adam, what you're bringing up in the in the uh, the prequels when the Jedi, you know, are they're, they're, they have hubris and they're, they're absolutist and, and attachment is 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 wrong no matter what and um, uh, all this kind of stuff. It's interesting because that actually goes in the face of Avar's powers. Avar actually brings yeah. the Jedi together. She's connecting yeah. Yeah. all of the Jedi in this net in this web where they're all yeah. one, and um, and it's all about attachment. Yeah, and there's she represents so the inverse, the inverse model of of what you get in the prequels and the dogmatic views of the Jedi, and it's right. it's fascinating. And Avar Chris, I love that you bring up that example because she very much proverbially would like Elzar Man to dock his bulk cruiser in her like landing bay, and I, I think like you know, and I think that's very healthy. It's just like she's got an attachment there, but Elzar Man is the one who's like the strict 
Like he's like, no, no, no. We're he doesn't want to dance. He doesn't yeah. want to dance. He doesn't want to even dance. Yeah. I'm going the other side. We're going to be as far apart in the galaxy as we possibly could. Right? Yeah. Like that's the last like, thing yeah. between. Like, well, see you later. later. And I'm going to Coruscant. <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Which is, you know, and I mean, to us as human beings, we're like, that's wrong. Sorry, that's wrong. You know, like, why would you deny that? And obviously, there's, I mean, there's going to be some sort of reconciliation of that attachment. I mean, in, you know, it, it's somewhere in this story. But yeah, I mean, it, it it was the I think the major flaw in the Jedi and yeah. um in in the original and prequel trilogies. And um, you know, I, I'm really interested to see how it develops in the sequel, sequel trilogy, um, or you know, post-sequel Star Wars and and how it develops here. But um we we again we kind of know where that doctrination is is going. Or uh, that doctrine is going um, because it's going to end up in the prequel sort of um, right. world of of the the Jedi Council. But uh, um, and quickly okay. here in this council meeting, uh, we get a few new Jedi that are really really interesting. We get Estru Shin, who's a yep. Mon Calamari yeah. <laughs> a Jedi yeah. master. Nice. Uh, very cool character. Fantastic dialogue. Um, Sewell. Sewell writes excellent dialogue for this council meeting yeah uh it's, it's one of my favorite scenes um grandmaster laru yeah yeah laru yeah i'm excited uh, to Rainer learn more Khan. about the jedi council like actually seeing them keaton murag yep yeah and it's the funny though they... opo rancisis <laughs> yeah opo, <laughs> opo rancis yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny what they've done with Yoda, where it's like Yoda's on a sabbatical. With, like, yeah, Yoda's yeah. on sabbatical. Yeah, I know. Except for the end, he I think he returns at the end. I'm yeah, he was he, he was there. But like, I think at this and another thing we'll talk about next week, they're like, "Are you back?" And he's like, "No, no, I'm like." It just felt like I'm it was over a here. Field wink, trip for his kids. Wink, wink. Come check me out in the IDW series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Oh, we totally will. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, me too. Uh, so let's go back to Elfrona. We have Loden, uh, Great Storm, and uh, Belzedafar on Elfrona. Uh, they go to Ogden's Hope meet um, uh, Porter Angle and Indira. Yeah. Yeah. Outpost Jedi out there, right? Indira yeah. Stokes. Indira Stokes. Right. Stokes. Uh, she was a cool character. Yeah. Uh, the Steelies. <laughs> um, I loved Elfrona. That planet was beautifully described. The mining world. I think they have several sort of mineral exports from that world. Um, the uh, and the families like that. The kidnapped families journey is harrowing. Like the whole yeah. thing. Like it is. Like the 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 how each person gets free is like there's a moment right like the idea like the the mom falls off and all this to the point where i have to be honest like the thing like there are a lot of things in this book that that affected me the death of the father shook me and and with how it happened in a sentence and it moved on very quickly. Like it's literally a very just George R.R. Like, R. Martin yeah. thing to do. Yes. And the Stephen King like yeah. thing too, right? Like just very much like 
here, let me see this lightsaber. Wong, I just killed the father that we have spent 150 pages trying to rescue moving on. Like, like it was yeah. just like, I read that sentence four times over. Like, I literally am going back, wait, wait, what? Like, did that just, did they just, oh yeah, they just totally killed that character without much pomp and circumstance. Right. That whole storyline, it was like a little micro story within and yeah. it was fascinating and developed beautifully. And um, all the characters, I mean, obviously they're, they're going to get their own stories in one way or the other. I mean, I'm really interested in what Loden Greatstorm's story is going to be. Yeah. He's in a tight spot. Um, and I'm even like thinking like, is he going to get turned to the dark side? Like, is he, uh, yeah. you know, because I don't know, it's like uh, Iron Man is what I think about him. Like he's, oh, he's kind yeah. of their, their greatest, he, he doesn't seem to have any flaws, but I, I feel like that's where they're setting him up for a disaster. But similar to Iron Man, right? Like this is, might be his origin story, right? Like he is kept in a cave and tortured and exposed, right? It's, it's fascinating. It is. It seems to be where they're leading, right? He like he is just being I just this idea that the way you keep a Jedi off track is by exposing them to fear and suffering of others is so logical and something I never thought of before. Like you just you don't torture them, you torture other people around them. Yeah, it's fascinating. Right. I mean, yeah. He could be the next henchman type character for Martian Rowe. There's basically like the mountain. You bring up Game of Thrones. It's like, is this character going to be the bodyguard for Martian Rowe? Like, is he going to be this crazed, maddened, almost like a Wolverine, basically? Like, because yeah. at the end of this book, uh, uh, spoilers, Loden Greatstorm is in this, this, this cell, uh, this electrified cell in uh, this yeah. torture dungeon, essentially. But like surrounded with that. nothing but pain and hate right yeah but it almost feels like more like the the resurrected mountain right like the that cersei yeah. had the one that was like yeah. the frankenstein mountain right like he's just gonna be this broken husk of a thing walking around yeah but i mean setting him up for a redemption story at some point um it's just terrible because he's such a good mentor yeah a lot of yeah a lot of um qui-gon jinn energy off him oh totally you know, and Bell Zetafar is very much a Obi Wan Kenobi prodigy sort of type yep. uh, character, and just like yeah, that whole thing. He's like, you're going to be a Jedi Knight, and you're ready for the trials after this. Like, you're ready to go, and like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, yeah. Also in there, I mean, we talked a little bit about um, uh, why can't I think of his name? The older uh, character, Porter Angle. Porter Angle, yeah, and that you. that action sequence is probably my favorite uh, in the book, where he's he's chasing the Nile through the canyons there, and uh, there's that there's this there's the rifleman up in the cliffs, and uh, and he's basically you know he he's still got his groove, he's still got his oh his yeah <laughs> Jedi, and he's he's a three hundred year old Ikrukian, I think right. chef. <laughs> so so I looked up Ikruki, the the like the the species. They kind of look like Marilyn Manson, <laughs> <laughs> like the Marilyn Manson like species. They this gets like this receding hairline, tall, thin, kind of nubby horn things on his like frontal lobes, but they're like pale and it's it's <laughs> the, the Marilyn Manson sort of thing. Um, there's he's there's actually, years old, so yeah, yeah. yeah. that so little yeah he's a little long in the tooth. Um, but there's actually there was a quote at the end 
and this might have even been in the epilogue, so I apologize if I'm getting too far, but Porter Engel walked along with the group, quiet, and seemed to barely notice the wonders of the Starlight Beacon. He was remembering what it felt like to be the Blade of Bardotta and remembering yeah. why he once chose to never be that person again. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for that story. Uh, what yeah, who's the blade? Why? What was the blade of Bardotta? Does he have a dark past? Yeah, we'll but get we'll s- get that story. We're gonna yeah. get all these stories. I cannot wait. It's kind of Yoda esque, so um, it's fantastic. What else? Um, so then, what else do we get to here? Um, Cassive. Um, yeah, I mean, we we talked about that battle in Cassive's last stand uh, a little bit earlier on, but um, obviously there was a battle there, and um, and Cassive was a tool for Martian Rowe, and they were, you know. Yeah, watching it um, from afar, well, and he, he was controlling. We know what a path engine. Chris and the Jedi, they're searching for the flight recorder, right? Uh, the, yeah, right. Uh, the legacy yeah. run because they don't want yeah. that to happen again, yeah. uh, ever again. They're like, it right. just cannot ever happen again. Yeah. And every emergence, these fragments that keep appearing, the Jedi are addressing that. Um, the characters have separated, obviously. Um, some are on Elfrona here. Um, uh, uh, but we 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 learned that I think later on that Martian was giving away the location of of Kasav and like yeah. he was playing yeah. this this kind of this game of chess with the Republic the yeah. entire time, and it's a fascinating reveal uh, kind of towards the end. Yeah. So, uh, they... what did you guys make of that 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 stuff? Well, so this is again very George R. R. Martin. You you do it in sort of three stages. There was a quote earlier on where somehow, all right, it's this. uh, They're trying to build a huge sort of machine, lots of navigational droids linked together, and they hope they can use it to predict where the missing pieces of Legacy Run will come up. And I I had a note. I was like, how does he know this? It was just like, there was like, I'm like, wait, that's inside information. How do you know? And then as you're going on, they start talking about the Senator Noor, I think, N-O-O-R, um, has a Chagrian assistant, um, and it turns out that that Chagrian assistant is a spy. And so yeah. this is, um, yeah. Um, and uh, Masa Meda, if you're, you're wondering what a Chagrian looks like, Masa Meda uh, is a Chagrian. So so he was the aide to uh, to uh, Palpatine. Right. So huge horns that go up and go down off the chin. They're blue and sort of blubbery and whatever. Uh, but this is a female Chagrian. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting development. So that's how, I mean, that shows you what spy networks are worth. Right, Cause we get, we get like the, I, we get, um, obviously the, the Nile on Elfrona, we get the, we get Lorna D and then Tiami and Mikkel kind of confronting her. And then Kosov is basically this setup, uh, yeah. this, this ploy, uh, that, uh, that, that Martian's going to give, give Kosov up just so the Republican Republic is um, is satisfied with with the, the with yeah. squashing this this marauder threat and thinking that they are the Nile right. and that's that's the well, that's the only the, right. they, they are the only Nile out there this, right. this group at least while at the out. same time giving him or forcing him to go out in a blaze of glory that makes the Nile buy in more right to the, like it it's really good like it's Palpatine level. 
right. chess, right? They she did a really her. good job of when you introduce this character to be like, all right, so he's like this this kid who like inherited his father's position who doesn't really seem Was to have... it his father? Right. I mean, we'll get there, right? And like, do we know who this character is? is he, does he have any strength? Is he just someone who is just faking it till he makes it? And then by the end of the novel, you're like, oh no, this is a really conniving, like really, really thoughtful person in a really bad way. So on El Frono, we also get a number of new vehicles. And oh, yes. Yeah, we do. I was wondering what you guys thought, or uh, what your thoughts were about the the vectors, the vanguards, the veils, this sort of these, these Jedi uh, uh, vehicles and, and starships that we see in these books. Um, cool naming scheme. Yeah. I yeah. A lot of, a lot of V names. Um, yeah. I mean, have we done a vehicle pillar yet? Like we should do a vehicle pillar at some point, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. They're a very important part of Star Wars, and I'm sure a lot of care went into uh, the design of these vehicles. Um, I'm looking behind Grant right now. He has vectors behind him, and it's an amazing design, totally unique. And, I mean, they borrowed from other, like, sort of discarded concept design. They're like, that's cool, but doesn't fit whatever we're doing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, the, the veils, these, like, speeder bikes – and um, yeah, land speeders and air speeders. I, I adore all of it. And they did a great job describing, I mean, Sewell did a great job describing it in, in this book, um, how they all are. And you can picture them in your mind. And we've seen the concept art. So they're great. Yeah. yeah they fit it, perfectly. Yeah, they totally did. The vectors are seem to be a logical connection to the Jedi Starfighters we see in episode one and the Jedi Starfighter video game. <laughs> if anyone ever played that. Um, but this idea was like they're they're specifically made for Jedi, right? So they're just super maneuverable, but like bare bones in some ways. They have a lightsaber key. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. And there was one, I can't remember, help me out, but there was one scene where basically they were they were steering it so aggressively, the lightsaber almost overheated. Remember, like you grabbed yeah. the lightsaber and it was like hot to the touch. Yeah, like, that's a pretty cool uh, little, little little moment. And two times in in this book, there's like they, they're drifting basically, where Jedi are basically locked in formation. Yeah, kind of. Uh, their minds are linked. Yes, and uh, and Avar Christ helps with this, and that's where the battle meditation comes into play again. Yeah, where it's like you're, I'm wondering, you know, it, does she reach out and help them all as they're maneuvering in their vectors yeah yeah 100 percent. and that, that was a moment where i read it and i read drifting a couple times where i'm like like tokyo drift drifting like but no but but great great oh, yeah. no no it's it's a uh, pacific rim drifting right it's like connected through the brain oh um, pacific rim drifting that was great grant called it and i'm like yeah 100 percent the other thing that's funny about the lightsaber key that I just read is that, and in the book is that, apparently your internal controls light up to whatever yeah. color. Like, okay, we are 100% going to see that in a video game, right? Like, how yes. does that not be a video game thing where you choose your lightsaber color and then your entire board is lit up? How does that not work in the car that I'm driving right now where it's like, 
No, oh, totally. I'm feeling like blue today and like all the LEDs, it just like lights up like turquoise or something, you know, like <laughs> that'd be so lame in my Subaru Crosstrek. But yeah, I would totally do it anyway. Would it or would it make your Subaru Crosstrek even more awesome? <laughs> I don't know. Um, are we going to get why don't we get into the end game here? I mean, we've been skipping around. We can't yeah. retell this whole story. Yeah. Um, we're just trying to talk about the salient points and the talking points here. So. Martian Rowe. So he goes through a transformation at the end of this. Yeah. Um, and we talked about he gets to we are all the Nile. And so essentially he gets rid of the mid-level marketing scheme and it's just like you're either in or you're out of the cult. Yeah. But something happened. So he. He we know he has this plan. He's been developing this plan over the book. He, as the readers, we don't know what that plan is exactly. But there's a point where he's like, "All right, now is the time." We know part of that plan was sacrificing Kasav. Um, and and then he goes, and then other things happen, and he puts on his father's old cloak. Yep. But he says there's there's a line in here that I'm just sort of stuck on, and it says. He wasn't Martian Rowe either. His name was Ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. It didn't yep. matter. Where he came from was gone, other than the lessons it had taught him and a few tools he had stolen from when it when he left. And a few yes. tools he had stolen from it but, when he left. That's part of the tenets of the Nile. I think they even say earlier that um, it doesn't matter where you come from as long as you, I mm. guess take but, part in the plunder in the plundering and you bring in a percentage like then you matter in the nile the rule of thirds yeah. or three yeah 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 that yeah thing. but there's something about his past that we have not been re- that has not been revealed to us and i think it's connected to the other big reveal which is his secret magical weapon and let me just i'll the just baton. read yeah I want to read so this. this. Well, it has to do with both the Jedi and the baton. There's a, there's actually a passage, Adam, you're probably going to read it. Where, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm about uh, to read it. In the past, <laughs> it's uh, the, we, what we can infer is that the both the Jedi and the baton that he um, he brings out at the end there, uh, they, they have to do with the downfall of his family and the downfall of, of a certain, I think, contingent of the Nile that no longer exists. So we're should just Asgar Row. Asgar Row, right? Before we get onto that object, we're sure it's still the same person that we've seen heretofore, right? Even though he says he wasn't Martian Row either, his name was, it didn't matter. Does that just mean like, oh, like Martian Row is an alias and we're just a family made up that name for the Nile? I I think I mean let me read the object description and then we can kind of speculate because I have a speculation. Okay. Where this is going. Um, so Marcia and Roe reached inside his tunic and pulled out an object of stone and metal, a rod, three hands long, carved and incised with symbols, screaming faces, fire, chains. It looked as if it had been melted once and reforged. And his hand touched the object. Uh, sorry, as his hand touched the object, it began to glow a sticky purple color that somehow overpowered the star bright lightning of the prison deck. Thoughts? <laughs> it did give us a lot to work with, but we do know it's made of some type of metal that can be melted and reforged. I mean... Is it connected to the gaze electric, the actual ship itself? Could be. I don't uh, know. I... Which is a very strange ship. 
we should we should yeah and also a fantastic name the gaze electric mm -hmm. it makes me think of like you know like magical mystery tour um you know yeah. grateful dead uh sort of captain trips sort of stuff like that which is probably <laughs> not what they're going for but like um yeah awesome name i, I mean it says like sith relic to me maybe also, yeah i mean if again you guys haven't read wheel of time robert jordan no. they on my list they have a th these things called terra angriel that are like they 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 have their own sort of version of the force kind of in that in those books and they they amplify your use of the uh, the force i forget what they and yeah. i think what they call it now but um they're sort of yeah there's there's sort of relics that that resound you know resonate with the force a little bit yeah and that's what i don't know that's what i thought of but definitely i mean on the rod of, there's screaming faces is that what's written yeah yeah screaming fire uh, chains fire chains screaming faces fires and chain fire and chains yeah it sounds sith to me right it sounds very sith it's the melted and reef forged thing that makes me think that maybe it's something else or a combination of something else we spent the last two years watching a certain type of metal being melted and reforged on tv oh so maybe it's like a mandalorian defense i think we may be wandering into mandalorian territory or at least adjacent to mandalorians because we know at this point the mandalorians are around they mentioned the Mandalorians in this book, actually. Yeah, but, like basically they wait, mentioned it was like they're not really a thing right now. Yeah. Varshian's able to withstand the 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 mind trick or the mind mind touch. Uh, mind yeah, mind touch. Because don't call it a mind trick. Yeah. That's another yeah. part of the whole thing. That's a dark that to me that's like that's sneaking unsuspicious under the surface for me. I'm like, oh yeah, right. we're gonna call it mind touch. Okay, fine. It's still you yeah. you're 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 really violating people's heads. But anyway, how cool is it when uh, Loden Greatstorm smashed Martian's row into like head back into like a pillar? Yeah, <laughs> like, just like it's like all he could summons, but he like almost cracked his head like an egg. I, I was like, I don't know. That's, again, something you could totally viscerally see. It was perfectly written in a way that you understood completely what was going on there. Yeah, I don't know. that was a great scene. But sorry. Great, we got off touch. So you're saying there is the mind uh, trick, such such. He's able to withstand the mind touch. Yes. Uh, so you think this? Oh, that's protecting him a little bit from the force. No, I'm just wondering how he's able, how he's able to protect himself. He he's, says he learned it from his family. He's in right. his family. Like, well, we know that. Is, does he come from a Sith background or something? Or a Mandalorian because they're the Mandalorian. enemy of the Jedi and the fact that they've probably taught each other how to resist mind tricks. Like, <laughs> sorry. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's canon in the original trilogy that there's ways to, you yeah. know, like essentially smart people are immune to mind they're tricks. and Weak minded. Yeah. Yeah. Weak minded. So. And I think they mention in this book a little bit like, oh, yeah, this week, this would work well on a weak minded person like so and so. Um, but it's interesting. He is holding that rod right when he's talking to Loden. So um, maybe it amplifies that effect. Maybe it's I mean, which is now we're getting into sort of Yuzhan Vong territory a little bit. Right. Yeah. Sort of a, an artifact that makes you immune to the force or 
force control or force powers. That's pretty cool. But I like the fact that it's you think the Mandalorian thing because they could be planting seeds for this new canon history of the Mandalorians versus the Jedi. Yeah. Because I think we're going to be dipping into that a lot in the upcoming seasons of the Mandalorian. That's my problem is I feel like I'm not so, creative, but I'm only I'm only creative when it comes to like marketing. Like <laughs> in terms of like how do you tie this all together and make this marketable? You want to get the main the Mandalorians are the next big thing in Star Wars right now, right? And so I feel like you gotta figure out a way to current big in. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so do you think maybe maybe uh this denial could be an offshoot of Mandalorians that a contingent that basically went off into the, the outer rim and studied hyperspace transit and developed I, the the paths i feel like martian rose family line is i feel like the rest of the nile are not and they're just not aware of what they're being but i feel like when you get to the family mm-hmm. history of uh of martian row um that it will it will be an actual like they will probably be mandalorian not the rest of the nile but martian martian row and his family interesting it's yeah. interesting the the path engines are are interesting and that marcia and roe has had all of the tempest runners like outfit their ships with the, the the modified path engine technology to then control them and if they want to use his paths they go yeah they're basically weapons he's weaponized like ships right. Yeah, because we know that um, uh, Mora Santeca is on her last legs. Like, as long as she's lived, she's not going to last long in that thing, especially the way he's treating her. But it appears that he's been creating a database of her paths that go all through the entire galaxy. And it's like, well, yes, we'll be repeating them. We won't have the luxury of of having unique paths every time. But he's he's going to be able to continue this if she passes away. but there was also a new newish wonder drug discovered that may oh, help her. Yes. Life. You yeah, you may have heard of it before. It's called Bacta. Yeah. Which is developed on Hetzel, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, that was fascinating where they were like the galaxy had been using, I think, uh a bunch of element called Joven, and then yeah. right. they moved to Bacta, uh, which is farmed on Hexel. And we also mentioned mentioned Hexel as like the agricultural kind of exporter yeah yeah the bread basket of the right of the republic yeah fascinating um really good stuff there's so there's another mystery that we should uh touch on before we uh sign off here and this is the the last scene this actually this is the epilogue right so yeah yeah elzar man and um avar chris go on a romantic walk uh up the uh spire of the starlight beacon um and avar adjourns and elzar hangs out um at the the zenith just sort of taking in the view for the last time before he goes back to coruscant and he is just like thumped by a vision i mean we've seen visions in dreams right. and in meditation um so far in the original trilogy and skywalker you know skywalker saga but this is like he got hit over the head with, by a club yeah. with this vision to the point where it made him bleed from the nose. Oh, yeah, yeah, he bled out mm-hmm. his nose, like, like visceral effect. So, and it was, yeah. Do you want to describe it, Ben? I mean, I, I don't have the. 
Do you, I can, do you want me to read the you quote? You have the quote. Okay, why, don't yeah. you, why don't you read it? Awful visions flashed before his eyes. Things he could not understand cast in a sickly purple light. Jedi, many he knew, friends and colleagues, horribly mutilated, fighting battles they could not win against awful things that lived in the dark, things that lived in the deep. The Jedi, those who survived, were fleeing, not retreating, but fleeing. Right. Well, so you mentioned sickly purple light for the second time in the past 10 minutes. That's that's how they described that rod. It yeah. had a sickly purple light. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a stem of it. We also haven't seen, we know there's another, um, nemesis or antagonist, which is the, say it with me or for me. Uh, God, I so hoping you had it. <laughs> come on, Grant, you know what it is. What is it? The vegetal, um, nemesis known as oh, the, the, the dread, the dranger. Dranger. Yes. Yeah. So we know they're coming. But, I mean, so he's suddenly as our man knows fear. And this is, I mean, he's fearless. Like, the, the Force is a toy for him to to play with, to experiment with. And, like, let's face it, he, I mean, he may have had some failures. We haven't seen any. But this this Jedi knows his stuff and, like, is essentially all-powerful. He, he can do whatever he wants with the Force. If there's, you well, know, we know we Cavan know Scott's writing the next book. It's called The Rising Storm. Do we think quite possibly that uh, Marshawn Rowe uses that rod to create, you know, to create a more volatile storm or, or hyperspace disaster, basically sending more and more fragments and emergencies, emergencies than yeah. we saw in this book? And, I mean, and maybe hit a maybe hit a core world or do something drastic. We know the the Nile are going to spread inwards into the core, but I, I don't know. It feels like that description from Elzar Man seems more tangible. Like there's an actual threat on the ground that that they can't escape. You know, it's like if it was just in like space, the, like the Drenger, like the primordial. Maybe it is like he awakens Elemental. the Drenger. Yeah, the Drenger and like they, you know, that's becomes a weapon of his. Um, but I, I think it I think it ties back into the rod. Otherwise, they wouldn't use the exact same adjectives uh, to describe it um, as the rod. Right. Yeah, that's not by accident. Yeah, but like what? So, but so offline, Grant, you asked this question and we didn't quite answer it. What did in this era, the the era where the force is with the galaxy, what do the Jedi fear? Yeah, I think we we discussed that further, and we it's it is this the chaos, the the disorder, the um, the discord in the harmony of the galaxy and the loss of life this kind of hyperspace these disasters causing great loss of life that is disrupting the balance in the galaxy yeah Um, that's that's something they fear but then complete disregard uh, for life yeah yeah the disregard for life the desensitized loss of life when um when cassive and the the nile just start you know leaping their ships start leaping into the other ships i think that moment i mentioned earlier when they just throw a child out of a ship Right, right. Yeah. Just to it's help terrible. them get away, I think was like that seemed to strike fear in the heart of Graystorm and or Great Storm and his apprentice. Like, yeah, they couldn't I mean, believe what they were seeing. 
Right. I, I threw chaos out there when we were having this conversation because, like, it's just prescient. And yeah. It's, keep, it's one of those words you keep hearing, like, the real threat to civilization is always chaos, actually. Well, like The Jedi order. Well, I got, I got Joker vibes right. from Martian Rowe a couple times when he was just kind of... Yeah. He just felt watch very the world burn. plotting and like watching the world burn and, and and just causing these disasters as a facade almost and like you know what I mean like there's a sinister plan and then the the disaster and the explosions are just a, basically a distraction. There is a I don't have the quote, but there was a, a point the first time we hear of Marshawn Rowe's plan is when he's like pondering the like the order of that the Jedi have and they're very like their power comes from their um their drift, right? Their connection to each other mm. and their, you know, their plan and and he's like and then he's like he's like pondering how like maybe his plan will work. And maybe that that's just it. It it's it's like infusing chaos. I mean, even dictators fear chaos. Right. You know, it's everyone, everyone should fear this sort of chaos. But I think that he can also use hidden paths behind the fabric of space. Like, like the paths, the hyperspace paths are pretty powerful weapon, especially after, you know, all of us seeing The Last Jedi and seeing what the the cruiser, a single uh, Republic cruiser did to the the supremacy and (laughs) all the surroundings. You know, uh, star destroyers. It's 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 interesting to see what, what a villain like this is going to do with with the paths and using that sort of technology against right. the Republic. And in that one, I mean, I think we can actually use what we've seen so far. So, like in that one battle, Kasav was disobeying the rules of engagement, which is like in our world, as crazy as that seems, there are rules of engagement, and there are like certain weapons you can't use. You know, sarin gas and that sort of stuff, like. There are rules to war, which don't make any sense. But, you know, I think that's why the Jedi were so taken aback was because the the Nile were willing to look past that. Um, And, you know, and so, yeah, I think I think it really is that it's just like pure chaos and, and not being able to just like actually, you know, with the paths allow it so that you can never face your your um opponent head on you know they're never right there if, if it was just like okay all the nile versus all the jedi the the nile will get wiped away but that's not what they're going to do they're going to be elusive and hidden and um and and un, uncatchable and just sow this like chaos through the galaxy maybe, maybe that's what the the jedi fear yeah that makes a lot of sense it i think also you get explicitly at the end of the book i think marshan says you know, they will fear us and like let them come because like I, I think and I think in the next novel, I think we're the, the Nile are going to evolve into an even more fearsome and formidable mm-hmm. uh, threat. Yeah, to the Republic. Agreed. Um, yeah, because so he's retooling. I I, it's going to get darker. It's going to get dark. Yeah, it's going to it's going to go there, especially Which... with Great Storm and what's going on with Great Storm. I mean, super excited to see what what um they do next with that character yeah same that that that's the one thing that i'm most interested to hear about because it's i mean it's going to be terrible but um 
there's going to be, be awful. Interesting. But yeah. very Star Warsy. Very. Yeah. And glad they did it with that character in particular. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, and not Ivar Chris like she's her own character and this, you know, they can have that storyline. Great, you know, Great Storm is still that sort of white knight sort of, you know, all altruistic, you know, perfect, you know, Jedi. Um they both are and there's there's a lot of perfect Jedi in in this order um with with different proclivities but great storm is sort of yeah your generic hero right and i think there's going to be a fall there of some sort um i don't know but it's they've made it just so compelling you know you're so rooting for him to get um you know i don't know to get to get some retribution some revenge and he's thinking about that now and you can you can tell just the way they talk about his eyes and but he could be like a reek like character you know where he's just absolutely mm. tortured into submission which is like yeah, yeah that's what i'm thinking might happen yeah i almost made the same analogy earlier we we're talking about him, but yeah i think that would totally make sense yeah well um yeah uh fascinating um fantastic book uh great read um and yeah it really was even better than i thought it was going to be um this book and in this introduction to this new era so um yeah i guess uh we're going to talk about uh about it more next week we're going to talk about the the first comic uh in the series which will be fantastic Uh, i've been saying fantastic a lot lately but i guess i just like that word um we're going to talk about uh justina ireland's book um test of courage um, which is going to get us in there. I'm excited to look at some graphics and visuals. Um, we actually, we might talk about the great disaster. Actually, Kevin Scott's like super young reader, um, yeah. book, uh, that we have, uh, but there's illustrations there and you get to see new characters. And, um, so that's all, all will be there. And, um, and then as always, like, you never know what news is going to pop up. There's so also the other thing is, oh yes. Thank you, Adam. Oh, well, no, I was going to say something else. I don't think I'm reminding you of this, but but you say what you're going to say in a minute. But there's also the Vow of Silver Dawn, which is the the Chinese exclusive novel in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's been being released um, in China over the past since starting December 17th, like a chapter a day type of thing. OK, that I've noticed they're pretty accurate translations online so oh, i may really? i might wait till that's done collect those up and i'll maybe distribute between the three of us and maybe we'll read that as, as well because i think i think there's a core in it that's a main character anyway it could be interesting to really? see kind of what's going on in there but let's uh i will see if i can find a good source for that translation because star wars said there's no plans to translate into english but there's a lot of people who speak both english and mandarin <laughs> or whatever version of chinese that this is written in so i will uh I will share that as I come across it. Maybe we'll cover that. It would be a fun one. The the other thing that I uh, forgot yeah. to uh, mention that we're going to talk about um, was the link that you sent us, Adam. That was at the Star Wars Insider. Yeah, so Star Wars Insider 199 from last month released a short story by Charles Sewell called i can't remember the name into the starlight or something like that i have to look it up but basically star wars insider used to be the source for short story star wars uh works and they have finally come back 
and they're going to be releasing a short story every issue uh, tied into the higher public. So we're going to cover those as those come out as well. And I think, I think, um, yeah, Charles Sewell gets the first three or four that kind of do a do a um, the first the first one is a kind of prequel to uh, to the to the book. It actually takes place on Starlight Beacon prior to the events of uh, the Light of the Jedi. So we'll talk about that short three three page thing, but there's some good stuff in there. All right. So more, um, yeah, a lot more higher um, high Republic coming up, uh, which is great. Um, just want to do a brief shout out to uh, all of our new fans. If you're a new listener and you're at an hour and 45 minutes on this podcast, thank you. Um, even if you don't make it this long, we obviously still thank you. But um uh, we've seen a lot, uh, a little jump up in uh, viewership. Um, we've been shouting out Norway and uh, Spain because we've um, we've been charting pretty well there. And then uh, Great Britain just said, "Hold my bitter," and now we're we're up in the top three, I think, in Star Wars podcasts in Great Britain. So, um, welcome, thank you, um, and uh, yeah, let's. Uh, we are all the Republic, so let's enjoy all this great new content. And um, we'll talk to you next week about more uh, Star Wars, all the newest stuff, as always. So thanks again, and uh, may the Force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Core World News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, and good night. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Always. <laughs>